0: We are on, I don't remember, week nine, I think, of the miracle series, maybe week eight. And I uh, love this one. It's resurrection. And resurrection, raising someone from the dead is arguably the big one. This is the big miracle. And we see it in scripture a couple of times, and then we see it writ large over history in the person of Jesus. And the story that we're going to look at today is really, really dear to my heart. Um, I was... In seventh grade, I had a crush on someone, and it was someone that was wholly unattainable to me, as were all the people when I was in seventh grade, because I was a weird kid. Um, But it was Sean Cassidy. Does anyone remember Sean Cassidy? I know. I see. I... I see you. Um, yeah, I, I, he, he didn't know I was alive, especially on my television as he was. And um, so I did what you did back then, I did the daisy. Do you remember the daisy? Pull a petal. he loves me, he loves me not. Because I just wanted to know the truth. I wanted to know how he felt about me. So it was, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. And, and you know, the thing about the daisy is, once you get toward the end, you can do the math. You can add it up and you're like, oh, this is not gonna go my way. And so if it's not gonna go your way, you can scrap it real fast and get a new one, which I did a lot of times and it still never went my way, even one time. And uh, it, it is the thing, it's so silly, but the daisy has also been part of my relationship with Jesus. He loves me, he loves me not. Now he loves me, I'm in love. He loves me not, that relationship didn't work out. He loves me, I'm blessed. He loves me not, the check bounced. Remember checks? (laughs) Sean Cassidy wrote checks too, I'm guessing. (laughs) Um, I realized at some point that that was part of my relationship with God, that circumstances often determined whether or not I felt loved by him. And in 2010, about a week after my husband had found out, we got our first whisper that we might be facing ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, When we got that first little moment, I was scheduled to preach at my church that Sunday and nobody knew, just the two of us. And I sat down and I read this story that I'm gonna talk to you about today. And it's become one of the big stories of my life because I think that we can easily live in a place without realizing it, that we're viewing the love of God through all the many, many things that we use to prove it or disprove it. And in John, chapter 11, we see lots of people have these meetings with Jesus. They land on common ground with him, they watch what he does, they watch the miraculous power working through him, they watch for a moment of time where he doesn't use his miracle power, lets his friend die, and you can see the mechanism working in each of their brains to say what they believe about Jesus because of what they see with their eyes, and I love, love the book of John. I love it. John writes this gospel decades after the last gospels have been written and been, the, those gospels have been everywhere. Everybody knew about those Gospels, but something in John says, I want to sit down and I'm going to write my own story. I'm going to tell them the story myself. And he includes a lot of stories that nobody else includes in their Gospels, including the one we're going to look at today. Without John, we wouldn't have the woman at the well. We wouldn't have the woman caught in adultery and we wouldn't have the miracle of Lazarus. This, in this chapter, we see the Pharisees. We see Jesus' friends, we see his disciples, and we see just onlookers. And probably at any point in my life, I have fit into one of those categories. I have been an onlooker, I've been a friend, I've been a disciple, and I've been a Pharisee. And I can see myself in all of these responses. And so I want to approach this text with reverence, knowing that John meant for us to read it today. John meant for us to know something about the love of God we couldn't have known otherwise. John is the disciple that seems to be much, the most in touch with the fact that he is loved by God. Is he the disciple that Jesus loved? Yes, but I don't think it's because he thinks he's most loved. I think he's just the disciple that knows he's loved. It's not that Jesus loved him more. It's that John has an awareness that his whole identity boils down to this, loved by God. His daisy is, he loves me, he loves me more, he loves me, he loves me even more, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, and it works out every time. He pulls those petals and every single time he is still loved by God. So we're gonna come to this text with reverence because it is beautiful and we're gonna look at the witnesses to the work of Jesus Christ. Now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary And her sister Martha lived. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. Now this is an interesting start out the gate from John because John doesn't write super chronologically in his gospel, he bounces around a little. But the thing is, he's talking about a man named Lazarus and he's writing to people who would have been contemporary with these people. And so he wants to explain which Lazarus it was. Now I know Lazarus is not on the top of any baby name charts right now, but it was popular then. And of course, as it happened, someone came to me after the service and said, our grandson's name is Lazarus, so cool. Um, but this Lazarus, there's two in the Bible, and, and, and Lazarus was a popular name in this era. And so John wants us to understand which Lazarus he's talking about. So in order to tell us who Lazarus is, he tells us who his sister is. And he jumps ahead to the next chapter. We're not there yet. But he grabs a story out of that chapter where Mary anoints Jesus with her perfume and, and wipes his feet with her hair. And Jesus says, John says, you know, it's the woman who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. It's that Mary, because if there's one name more popular than Lazarus, it's Mary. There's four in Jesus' inner circle. And so Mary is identified by this one act. In fact, Lazarus is identified by this one act of his sister. And he's about to get raised from the dead. And he is known as the sister of the woman who did this extravagant act of worship. In fact, it's not just the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus isn't just the brother of Mary. It's the village of Mary. The village of Mary is named Bethany, and that means house of praise. This is how one act of worship can reverberate throughout all of human history that we are standing here today talking about this, identifying a man who was raised by the dead by his sister because she was a worshiper from the depths of her heart. This is how I wanna be known. This is how I want this church to be known. A church that worshiped even when it was really, really hard. Even when it didn't make sense, even when it felt lonely, even when it felt like it was against all the odds. We are people of worship and so the sisters send word these three Mary Martha and Lazarus probably would have been in their early mid-20s they're young people young adults and um, they send a message to Jesus and the message is very telling it just says Lord the one you love so very much is very sick they don't feel like they have to connect the dots for him Apparently, they don't feel like they need to make a formal request that he come to their house, please, and heal their brother. They assume that Jesus, knowing Lazarus is sick, will motivate him to move toward their need. That's what they assume to be true about the love of their friend toward them. That's what I assume to be true about the love of my friend toward me. I cannot tell you all the times I said to Jesus, the one you love so very much is very sick. And Jesus hears them. Augustine says, they did not say, Come, but only, Lord, behold, he whom you love is ill, as if to say, It is enough that you know, for you are not one that loves and then abandons. Read that line again. For you are not one that loves and then abandons. This line, I think, holds the heart of so many of our questions. I see your power, I see your sovereignty, I get that you created all the cool stuff, I get that you get mad at bad people, but what about when I feel abandoned? What about when you don't show up on time? What about when things don't go like I hoped they would go? This will be the crux of all the questions moving forward in this story. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but on the contrary, it is for the glory and honor of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus, and John always does this thing where he puts like little sticky notes in his commentary. I love doing this. When I read anything, I'll put a little sticky note saying my own thoughts about what I'm reading. John gives us this extra information. He wants to keep telling us who's who, and he gives us context. And here he says... Now, Jesus loved and was concerned about Martha and her sister and Lazarus and considered them dear friends. He wants you to understand, please get it. He really did love them, even though what he's about to do isn't going to look like he loved them. So he says, he's concerned about them. So even when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the same place two more days. He stayed. He wouldn't go. He stays two more days and this is a heartbreaking statement, but John makes sure we understand how Jesus felt about them and that he was concerned about them. And yet two days, he waited, Lazarus dies, and Jesus finally says, it's time to go. It's time to go see Lazarus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already spent four days in the tomb Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, a little less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them in the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. These are two responses to sorrow, two very, very different responses to sorrow. You may see yourself already in one of these women. Martha goes out to meet Jesus, Martha has a little something to say to Jesus. Martha doesn't just go to meet him in the driveway. Martha goes two miles to meet Jesus outside of the house where everybody's crying. Martha's gonna go talk with Jesus about how she's feeling, and Mary stays home. Mary, I think, is not ready to see Jesus right now. Mary is stuck. And the rest of the story will show us that Mary is stuck in something deep. She's stuck in deep emotions. Martha meets him on his way, and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha replied, I know that he will rise from the dead in the resurrection on the last day. Notice this moment. It's almost like when you lose someone you love and somebody says, it's okay, you'll see him in heaven. He, I, think, I think that Martha feels like Jesus just did that to her. Jesus just said, it's okay. He's going to rise from the dead. He's gonna, it's, it's just going to be fine. And she's like, I know he's going to rise eventually, but right now is where my problem is. Right now is when I need him back. And so Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies And everyone who lives and believes in me as Savior will never die. And then he turns it back on her and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe that not just eventually, not just heaven exists, not just eternal life, not just any of that. But do you believe that I have the power to be the resurrection and that I love you enough to be the resurrection? Do you believe this? Even now, I think Martha still believes in his power. She says, I know you are who you say you are, but when Jesus digs deeper, I don't think she believes that he's actually gonna raise her brother from the dead. Jesus doubles down and asks her, do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord, I have believed and continue to believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. He says, do you believe your brother will live? What does she say? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. She doesn't actually answer his question. She says, I believe you were the one who was destined to come into the world, and it is for you that the world has waited. Martha gives him an answer, but not the answer to his actual question. And I think that Martha has been spending four days inside of her own doubt. She has been processing the truth that she thought she knew and the truth that remains, and she gives him what remains. She gives him the tattered ruins of her faith. This is what I can believe. I can believe that you are who you say you are. Can she believe that he is who she thought he was? I don't know. And I have been there. I believe that you are, but I don't know if you are who I thought. This moment, I think, when these women who were dear friends, I mean, it hurts so much to lose a friend, to find out a friend isn't the one you thought. But when that friend also happens to be the Lord of the universe that's a tough blow that's hard and if you think about it you've probably been through that too after she had said this she left and called her sister Mary privately whispering to her the teacher is here and is asking for you and when she heard this she got up quickly and went to him now Jesus had not yet entered the village but he was still at the place where Martha had met him So when the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her saw how quickly Mary got up and left, they followed her. Then, assuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there, Jesus asked Martha to send out Mary. And this is a mystery point in this message to me. This is just an interesting spot in the story. If you're Sherlocking this story out, you're going to wonder, why is Jesus doing this? Why does he stay stuck in the road waiting to talk with Mary who's frustrated and grieving and desperate and probably a little mad at him? Why doesn't he just run to the tomb and get the job done? Because if he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead, all of his problems are over. He has killed three birds with one stone. He gets the guy up from the dead. He wins back his friendships. Everyone's faith is solidified. Why doesn't he just do that relationship? Because instead of just pushing Mary's grief out of the way, Jesus wants to meet her in it. Instead of working around all the sorrow that they're going to face in their humanity, Jesus wants to meet her in it. And he wants her to remember, this is what it's like to meet me in the sacred space of sorrow. Mary runs to meet him. And in fact, it says in other translations, it says she arises to meet with Jesus. She quickly arises. And listen to this crazy thing. That word arises in the Greek that John chooses to use in this story is the exact same word that the other gospel writers used for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She doesn't just get up out of her chair. They say, Mary resurrects to go see Jesus. I think something in Mary was dead. I mean, there's a lot of kinds of death and there are a lot of kinds of resurrection. Something in Mary was stuck, and when she hears that Jesus is calling for her, something brings her back to life. Something moves her to go be with him. Mary is resurrected in this moment. The Jews at her house follow her because they think she's going to grieve at the tomb. One thing I thought for the first, I don't know, 45 years of my life, I really heard a lot about you should live a life that's so great and cool and attractive and appealing, and successful, that people look at your life and they say, I want whatever it is you have. I want to follow Jesus too, because your life is so enviable that I want to follow you to get to him. And then my life fell apart. Then I, become, I became like the, everybody's worst case scenario. And I had to deal with this idea and I see it in this story that these people follow Mary's grief to get to Jesus. Yes, I think people might follow your success and find him. Yes, I think they might follow your teaching. They might follow even your love and get to Jesus, but they will follow you, I promise, they will follow your grief to get to Jesus. People will stop and stare at sorrow. People will gather around to watch you die. I have the blog stats to prove it. People will follow you to get to Jesus. There is something that makes you stop and say, how would I survive that? How would I endure it? Is Jesus really who she preached on the good days? And people follow Mary and they land right at the feet of Jesus with her. When Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says exactly word for word, the same thing that Martha says to him, but from a completely different position. Martha walks out to meet him eye to eye. Mary falls at his feet, still in a posture of worship, still with the same question, which one is better? I don't think either. I really don't. I don't think Jesus loves one heart position better than the other. I don't think the way we respond to Jesus in our anger or our sorrow or our frustration or our fear. I don't think the way we come to him makes him love us one little bit less. I don't think it impacts how he sees us. But I do think the way we come to him impacts how we see him. I do think it impacts me when I come to him from a position of worship versus coming to him from a position of aggression or frustration or accusation. I am telling you, I've done them all. At the moment when I was reading this story in 2010, I was on a wild roller coaster of adoration and aggression, of devotion and doubting. It was all there. It was all there. And I just kept trying to bring it back to the feet of Jesus saying, I don't know what to do with the mess that is Bo Stern. And I'm just gonna to have to trust you that you're in this, that you're working, that you're gonna resurrect something to new life. Mary, even in sorrow, approaches, approaches Jesus from a place of worship. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews who had come with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit to the point of anger at the sorrow caused by death and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. That's the scripture we all want to memorize when we're in fourth grade Bible school. Jesus wept. Um, that word, the closest English word we have for that word wept in the Greek is Jesus bold. You know how many times we apologize for crying from the stage? I I, I do. Jesus does not make any apology for the sorrow that he feels. He knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He told his disciples four days ago, we're gonna go wake Lazarus up. He knows what's about to happen, and yet he stands in the middle of these people who are grieving, and he steps right into the middle of their grief and shares it with them. He doesn't try to shush them. He doesn't try to talk them out of it. He doesn't wag his finger at their lack of faith. He just steps into the middle of it and he views the mess that humanity has made living inside a world that is ruled by death. I think he looks at the sorrow and sting of death from that moment and maybe even can see a few weeks down the road when he himself is gonna come face to face with death when he's gonna be the one in the tomb, when he's gonna be the one squaring off against our fierce opponent, and he is gonna remake the whole thing. He's gonna disable death from the inside out. But in this moment, he looks at the sorrow of humanity and he joins them in it. This is stunning. If you ever think that Jesus is mad at you for being sad, you have not met the real one. He steps into our sorrow and he meets us there. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the the blind man's eye have kept this man from dying? Perspective. Some people see him and see a God who loves people. Some people see him and say, "He he didn't pick the right one. He didn't show up for his friend. That matters. Some see as love on display, others see as negligence. Same exact situation, totally different perspectives. We can feel like we have all the evidence we need to tell us whether or not God is who he says he is, but we can be reading the evidence totally wrong. So, Jesus, again, deeply moved within to the point of anger, approached the tomb. It was a cave and a boulder was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now listen to this, Martha... John has told us three times who Martha is in this story. He has told us she is the sister of Mary. He has told us she is the sister of Lazarus. And now he gives us a little idea as to the context of who Martha is in this moment. We don't need to know it, but John needs to say it. Martha, the sister of the dead man. Martha has become the defender of the corpse. Martha now is like, not so fast. You were late, And now we're in a situation and it's not going to look good. It's not pretty in there. And I'm going to defend my brother's corpse. Uh, Martha, the sister of the dead man says, Lord, by this time, there will be an offensive odor for he has been dead four days. It is hopeless. Martha is like, sorry, when you're late, we switch into human cleanup mode. That's when it's our time to step up and step in. And we've got to fix the mess you didn't fix before. I do it every day here at work, you guys, every single day. (laughs) Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God? We just talked 15 minutes ago about how Martha doesn't seem to really believe. And Jesus just says to her, you believed enough. Oh, I love him. So they took away the stone and Jesus raised his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me and listen to me, but I've said this because the people are standing around. So they will believe in you too. When he had said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had been dead, his hands and feet tightly wrapped in a burial cloth. And with a burial cloth wrapped around his face, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. Lazarus is free. He is free and here is the miracle within the miracle. How is this guy walking around tightly wrapped up with a cloth over his face? That's crazy. And can you imagine being Lazarus in the tomb? He has been in there. I don't know what he's experiencing as a dead guy, but I know at one point he hears the voice of his friend. He hears him. And what does his friend say? His name. Ooh, Jesus says his name and he says, come out. And Lazarus wobbles out, I would assume. And Jesus says, unwind him and release him. And I was thinking, I talked to the youth about this recently. I was thinking, what if Lazarus would have been like, "Eh, mm, no, I don't know. I think I'm good. I I think I'm going to keep these clothes. I think I'm gonna keep these up wrapped tight because you were late once and you'll probably be late again. And I'm I'm maybe just gonna hang out here for a while and see if this lasts. I'm gonna see if I'm still alive tomorrow. I'm gonna see if this still works. And I think that would be absurd to stay in the stinky clothes, to live inside the stench of death, to live bound up by something that won't set you free, won't let you go, holds you to your past and your death and your sickness and your history. And I do it all the time. I stick just close in there and go, well, maybe I just stay here because I'm not sure I can trust him if I let him truly set me free. Just like that, the nightmare is over. Lazarus escapes the jaws of death. It's a bona fide miracle, the likes of which few of them have ever seen. And this ought to turn the world upside down, right? Let's look. So then, many of the Jews who had come to be with Mary, how'd they get there? They came with Mary. What'd they follow? Her grief. Many of the Jews who followed Mary were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done, believed in him. But some of them went back to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Perspective. Some of them saw an actual dead guy walk out of a tomb and believed. Some of them saw an actual dead guy walk out of a tomb and go to the Pharisees and they go, this isn't right. You need to fix this guy. You need to take care of this guy. Perspective. We can see the very same evidence in a very different God. What Jesus did for Lazarus on that day in Bethany is so beautiful and so stunning. I almost can't believe it when I read it. I almost can't even believe it. And then I realized that what Jesus did for Lazarus that day in Bethany, he did for me and you, every one of you on the cross, once and for all. He did this same work on the cross. You probably don't remember it, but there was a moment 2,000 years ago as Jesus breathed this last where he also called your name. In fact, the line I love in this story so much is when Martha says to Mary, the Lord is here and he is calling for you. And I wonder if that might just be the line we write over our awareness for the rest of our time together this morning. The Lord is here and he is calling for you. He is calling you to come out of the sickness and the death and the destruction that wraps around us, that holds us in, that suffocates the life and joy and freedom right out of us and we don't even realize it and all we do is just try to keep decorating the walls of our tomb and make it more livable and make it try to stink less and make it an easier place to be at home. And Jesus is calling your name, calling you to come out, calling you to come out where the people are, come out where freedom is, take off the clothes that keep you stuck and find what it means to have life and life and more life. That's the work of Jesus in our world and in our lives. Once and for all, Jesus disabled death on the cross. Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Jesus in death was the ultimate triumph. It is the most upside down story ever written anytime time upside down crazy Jesus dies and triumphs over death forever Ephesians 2 but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions He didn't come rescue you from the hospital he came to rescue you from the morgue you were dead Now you're alive. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is not just powerful and not just sovereign. He is kind. And he loves you. He loves you. And I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know what circumstances got you out of bed this morning or brought you in this room today, but I know he knows your name and I know he's calling. Would you just pray with me? And I just wanna make a moment, perhaps you're someone who has never made this decision, the the real, decision to say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. And my question for you, I guess this morning is how is life working for you? How do you feel about the condition of your heart and your, your, uh, your level of fear and your level of a a chosenness and how loved do you feel? I think Jesus is here today to call your name and say, I would love to stand in front of you and say, I am the resurrection for all the death that you face. I think Jesus would like to come today to be the resurrection to your life. And if you have not ever made a decision to follow Jesus, to say, I want you to be the Lord of my life for the rest of my life, would you right now in your seat just say to him, I believe you and I receive you. That's it. I believe you and I receive you. And perhaps you made a, this commitment so long ago that it doesn't, you don't remember it or it's lost its traction in your life or you have slipped into a life of doubt or despair. And you say, I just want today to recommit. I want to say again that you are the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. You are the re- resurrection. If that's you this morning, would you say in your seat to your Lord, I believe you and I receive you. And finally, perhaps you've experienced the death of a dream or a relationship, the death of purpose, perhaps you feel the death of your faith and you need a resurrection, you need a miracle this morning. I am with you Would you take a moment and right now in front of Jesus say, I believe you and I receive you and I receive your resurrection power in my life. God of all grace, we thank you. And we ask that you would meet each one exactly where they are. I love that you don't do mass production. You're not trying to homogenize any of us. You're here to meet with each one of us. You call us by name. You know the tombs in which we live. You know the clothes we wear. You know where death is calling shots in our life. And so, God, we ask that you would come and be the miraculous resurrection we all are looking for. We give you glory. We love you. Amen. Hey, I, we're going to do baptisms in the courtyard. And it could be that you just made a decision to follow Jesus, or you just recommitted your decision to follow Jesus. Or it could be that today is a particular day in your life where you need to experience a resurrection. And if that is you and you haven't signed up, we don't care. We want you to get baptized this morning. If that's you and you say, I want this in my life, I feel my heart pounding, I feel God is calling me to this, we want you to do that. And the way to do that is during this next song, you just go back out those doors right there. Oh we have wave hands waved in the back it's Kimberly and Carol Ann in the back and they will take you exactly where you need to go don't worry if you don't have a towel did you bring a beach towel in your bag because probably not we've got we've got you we'll take care of you but Kimberly and Carol Ann will get you connected in the back and you will get baptized today it's not the coolest thing choosing to be buried to your old life sometimes we really like our old life but you get to come up out of that water into something new and fresh and real and Jesus that's what happens and so this could be the day this could be the day for you and that'd be so cool so we're going to sing this song give you a chance to respond to that if you'd like to and then I'm going to come back and close this up You can't have that kind of energy and sit down, so let's stand up. Come Blessing, would you hold your hands out in front of you? May you be men and women who know the sight and sound and smell of resurrection power. May you hear the voice of the Son of God inviting you into the adventure that is life, life, and more life. May your graves become gardens and your bones become armies and your seas become highways in the name of the one who makes all things new, amen. Go with God, friends. Go get baptized or go celebrate and watch him get baptized. And we will see you next week and we love you.